How many are ready to get in the message this morning? Are you ready to get in the message this morning? Last week, boy, we were talking about Acts 2 and had such a tremendous service. The Spirit was moving and operating. We saw the Spirit move and operate in Acts chapter 2 in the life of the disciples or in the lives of the disciples. Now, this morning, uh, I'm going to warn you. I may have gone longer than I normally would. I may have uh, more of an outline than I normally would, but I promise you that everything that is here is relevant. And so if you'll stay with me, it's 1116. If you'll stay with me, I will do my very best to get through it. Amen? We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it together. And it's going to be some good stuff. And I will try my very best not to go off on rabbit trails. Amen? Sometimes you got to follow that rabbit, but that's how it goes. Let's pray over the message this morning. Lord, I thank you so much that we have an opportunity to dive into your word to see how it applies to our lives. Lord, I pray that it is filled with your spirit and your presence. Even as I prepared it, Lord, that it would be your words and not mine. Lord, your thoughts and not mine. Let me be used as an instrument of your power and your grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, the disciples, they have seen the resurrected Christ. Amen. They have spent time with him. They witnessed his ascension into heaven. And they are now filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 2. We saw Peter's first sermon after this event, and 3,000 people were saved. First sermon, 3,000 people. That's pretty good, Tim. The outcome of the outpouring of the Spirit was souls being directed to Christ. And I want to say that again because this is important. The outcome of the outpouring is souls being directed to Jesus. If the outcome of the outpouring is souls being directed to you, it's wrong. If the outcome of the outpouring is souls being directed to gifts, it's wrong. The outcome of the outpouring should be souls directed to Jesus always. It wasn't for the glory of the disciples. It wasn't for the glory of the Holy Spirit. It was for the glory of Christ. Amen? And so we are witnessing what is the beginning of the ecclesia or the beginning of the church. I want to begin this morning in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And it says this, And they devoted themselves, this is the, this is the disciples, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe, say awe, awe, Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, say common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Verse 46 says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's important for us to examine the beginnings of the church and ask ourselves this question. What are we missing? If we look at the beginning of the church and look at the church today, not just this church, but church as a whole, and say, what are we missing? For those who have devoted themselves to Christ, they found themselves growing day by day. That's what the Bible says. They devoted themselves to teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayers. What does that mean? That means that the life of the believer should be marked by these things. The life of the believer should be marked. Are you devoted to the teachings of Christ? Are you a student of the Bible? Do you learn and study from pastors and preachers and teachers? Or do we fill ourselves up with everything else? And a lot of times that's the issue. Is we're not, we're not taking in a steady diet of his word. We're taking in a steady diet of the world. Are we finding time to fellowship together? And I know that in the time that we're living in, this is kind of a uh, difficult thing for some. And please don't get me wrong when I say you should not get in the habit of staying home to watch church. Amen? Now, there are some people who have a legitimate reason to stay home. But the Bible tells us that the disciples attended temple together. The Bible says that we are called to come together in church to fellowship. Amen? To connect with each other, to encourage each other. For some of you, listen, there's some people watching online at home, and I want to talk to you right now. There's some people watching online at home that you have legitimate reasons to stay home, and I get that, right? We, we get that, right? There are some people with legitimate reasons. And listen, for this season, it's entirely understandable, and we want to show grace to you as much as we can. Amen? But some of you are just staying home because you can some of you are just staying home because people are staying home right now. How many know it's easier to stay home than come to church? Can I tell you something this morning? If you can go to Walmart, you can come to church. If you can go eat at a crowded restaurant, you can come to church. Amen? Listen, we love you, we miss you, we want you to come home. Amen? They devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to prayer. Why? Because prayer is to commune with God. To, be pr to, to pray is to be in His presence. I'm going to tell you something that some people might find upsetting. For some people, you didn't begin to worship this morning 
until about the last five minutes. Because you don't worship at home. And when you come here, you're just singing. Maybe you'll close your eyes. But it takes you time to get into that groove. It takes you time to get into the mindset of worship. It takes time to get into the mindset of prayer. It does. We have prayer here in the mornings, but nobody shows up. I come and I fellowship with people. Jenny and I have talked about it. The truth is, I hope that you're praying at home. My prayer is that you're praying at home and not just here. Right? Because the truth is this. If you're not praying at home, don't come here to put on a show. Amen? If you're not worshiping at home, don't come here and put on a show like, oh, I'm the worshiper. Right? You need to be worshiping at home and bring it into the church. You need to be praying at home and bring it into the church. You say, Pastor David, praying is so difficult. Praying is just one of the hardest things to do. No, it's not. What is prayer? And I think this is it. It's People are confused about what prayer is. Prayer is just communication with God. To pray is to be filled with his spirit. To pray is to meditate on Christ and his glory. So many, so a lot of people confuse prayer with just, I have requests. Lord, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me, do this for me. Please, Lord, do this for me. And then when they get done with their requests, they go, okay, what now? So they stop praying. Now, certainly, our needs is an aspect of prayer. Right? But before that, before we pray, come to him in worship. And after that, spend time listening. When you come to him in worship, when you spend time in prayer, and then you spend time listening, your life will grow. When you spend time in your word, when you spend time in fellowship with the body, your life will grow. People think prayer is just a one-sided conversation. It's not. If all it is is a one-sided conversation, guess what? You're just talking by yourself. And that's boring. It is. How many of you, like, I mean, some people think prayer is just reciting the Lord's Prayer over and over and over. Our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, our Father who art in heaven, please make this stop. The Lord's Prayer is a guide on how to pray. It's not the thing to pray every time because then it just becomes tradition and we lose the meaning of prayer. If prayer is not a two-sided conversation, it's just us talking. What else did the early church do? The early church, the believers became communal. What does that mean? It means that they gave all they had. It gave, they gave all they had. They gave so that other believers would have no need. Listen, we are called to help those in need in the church. Amen? If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, 
and we look at the example of early Christians, we are called to pray and help those in need. So then we get into Acts chapter 3. Now, it's an account that many people are familiar with. Acts chapter 3 is a very famous account, a very famous event, but I wonder if we can't look at it with new eyes this morning. I wonder if we can't look at the scripture with new eyes. So to give you an idea of what happens, Peter and John are walking in the morning. The Bible says around 9 a.m. They're walking to the temple. They're going to church. And it says that as they are going into the temple, there is a lame man. Lame as in disabilitated. He can't walk. He has no strength. He is debilitated. I said disabilitated. I don't know what I meant by that. That's not a word. He was debilitated. He was laying at the gate asking for money. This was a man that they had likely seen many times before. In fact, it's likely Jesus saw this man many times before. He was laying at what was called the gate called Beautiful. If you've been to Israel and you've seen where the gate is, it's a tremendous sight. It's pretty much covered now. But that's where he was for 40 years. Say 40 years. How many are, how many are 40 years old? Me and Tim. Oh, how many are over 40? You know what 40 years is. 40 years. Jesus had likely seen him many times before. Going to the temple, you see this guy asking for money. Lame, debilitated. But this time, say this time, was his appointed time. How many know sometimes we are waiting for a breakthrough in our life? We are waiting for a healing or direction. We are, we are waiting and we just don't see it. I mean, really, we're waiting and waiting. We go, God, I need an answer now. And we just don't see it. I can imagine that this man was laying at the gate. And every time Jesus walked by, he heard about the miracles. He heard about the healing. He heard about his message. And he kept thinking, why is it not my time? And for many of us, we grow impatient because we want it now. How many know? So now we just want it now. So we become like a two-year-old at Walmart. Right? Just we throw a tantrum. Because that's what we do. I was blessed with the opportunity to go to Arizona a few weeks ago. Uh, now it was a few weeks ago. And, and when I did, I had to get a rental car. So I went to the rental car area. And I saw a long line had formed at the thrifty car rental service. And honestly, when I, went, when I went in and I saw the line, I was like, man, that sucks for them. Because I didn't go through the thrifty rental car service. I went through the dollar rental car service. And there was nobody in line at the dollar rental car service. And so I passed by the people waiting, and I'm like, hmm, 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 hmm. <laughs> passed by the people waiting only to get to the little kiosk area and read a sign that read, dollar car rental closed, please use the thrifty area. 
I waited in line for four hours. I kid you not. Four hours. And this was not a happy line, right? This wasn't like a line of people waiting in anticipation for like a roller coaster or a movie, right? Okay. This is a line filled with angry people. All right. Two-year-old adults just throwing tantrums in this line. Just, you got to be kidding me. All right. And so I tried to inject some humor into the situation. So this, this uh, young black woman came by with her about two, two three-year-old daughter. And uh, the daughter just did this little thing where she just dropped to the floor. You know what kids do, right? And the mother looked at her and she goes, get on up. And right then I just thought of James Brown. I was like, get on up. Woo! All right. Listen, she started laughing. It was funny. The whole line started laughing. You guys aren't laughing right now. A bunch of religious people. What's going on? It was funny. And so people started laughing. And I got, listen, I got into a conversation with two people behind me. And, or two couples behind me, and we started talking about Israel, and we talked about faith, and we talked about family. We get into the end of the line, and I got to the counter, and I asked the woman behind the counter, how is your day going? And she looked at me with a look of agony. And she said, this has been going on all week. We don't have enough workers to clean the cars. Last night, we were here till 2 a.m., and it looks like it's going to be another one of those nights. So I took a moment, and I told her, thank you. I have to be in line for four hours. That stinks. But you're here for 16 hours. So thank you. And then I took a moment to look at the other workers behind the partition. And I said, in case nobody tells you, Thank you. And the people behind me in line just kind of looked down sheepishly because we have no understanding of patience. We have no understanding of waiting. And we really have no understanding of waiting on the Lord. Sometimes we just need to know that patience is a virtue. And sometimes we just need to wait for God to bring us our answer instead of demanding, Lord, do it now. Listen, we need to learn and to, to move and work in the appointed time. Amen? For this man at the gate with Peter and John, it was his appointed time. Acts 3, chapter, or Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through verse 10. We're going to read the whole account, and then we're going to come back. It says this. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. That is called the beautiful gate to ask alms or money of those entering the temple. But Peter and John, about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Hallelujah. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. 
And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. He was walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms or money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I want us to take in this account. Think about this man who only wanted money. Right? That's all he wanted. Just give me some money so I can buy some bread. Just give me some money. But I love what happens here. Peter, I like how the Bible says, Peter directed his gaze at him. And so did John. His eyes moved in the man's direction. And they were not being led by the man's cries for money. They were being led by the Spirit. Amen? Listen to me. They were not being led by the man's cries for money. They were being led by the Spirit. Peter says, look at us. And the man looks with expectation. He was expecting money, but God has other plans, right? So Peter spoke the famous line, I have no silver, I have no gold, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. And so he he grabs him by the hand, the Bible says, immediately strength comes into his feet and ankles. How many ever had uh, atrophied muscle before? When I was younger, this is rabbit trail, dang it. Mm. When I was younger... When I was younger, I got in a car accident. I broke my femur. I broke my, or I hurt, broke or hurt my arm, and I had brain injuries, which explains a lot, right? So I broke my femur, and they put a cast on. I was in a cast for many months, and then I had to learn how to walk again. And the reason I had to learn how to walk again was because my muscles had atrophied. I had no strength in my muscles. So I had to go to rehab, and I had to go through the whole, all the thing, and kick a ball and all that stuff. And I mean, that's the exercises, all that stuff. And I think about this man who for 40 years is sitting lame at the gate. And the Bible says immediately strength comes into his feet and ankles. And immediately he begins leaping and jumping and walking, praising God. I want to point out a few things about this account that maybe we haven't looked at before. And I want to, I want to say it this way. Let our eyes be fresh this morning. Many people, including Christians, are more than fine with just meeting the temporary need rather than the eternal need. So listen to me carefully. The church, the ecclesia, is not just here to meet temporary needs. We are called to point people to Jesus. When Peter and John gave no money, I like what this one commentary says. He says, we might have heard the man complain, saying, you don't care about me. You won't support me. Look at the mess that I'm in. But Peter and John wanted something greater than supporting the man in his condition. They're not just going to give him money. They wanted to transform his life by the power of the risen Lord. And one commentary says this, for sure we are called to care for the orphans and the widows and the poor and the hungry. But if that's all we're doing, we're missing the point. 
If that's all we're doing, we are missing the point. There are many churches and Christians that are trying to fix things by addressing or trying to correct what we would call social justice issues. Let me be clear. The Bible says that the Lord loves justice. Micah 6.8 says this. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah 1.17 says this. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. We as Christians should love justice, right? We should seek to correct oppression, and we should plead the widow's cause. As Christians, that is what we are called to do. But many times, what the world calls social justice is not in line with biblical justice. And we need to have a clear understanding of that as Christians. Many times, not all the time, Many times, social justice is defined by those with anger, with self-imposed victimhood, those who use intimidation tactics, and they have a failure to understand what true justice really is. Biblical justice is being the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken world. Biblical justice is being the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken world. If that's not a part of your Christian walk, I don't know that you can call yourself a Christ follower unless you're actually following Christ. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a broken world. There is a large conversation happening in our nation right now and around the world in regards to race and culture. How many know the church should be a part of that conversation? The church should be a part of that conversation. How many know that we have a race issue in this country? Right? We know this because that's what's being hammered into us by the media, by the internet, by the educational system, and many times by different churches. But if all we're doing is trying to fix the temporary, we're missing the point. If all we are doing is trying to fix the temporary, If all we're doing is trying to have different races hold hands and sing we are the world, we're missing the point. So many don't know what we are the world is. It's an older song. It's very popular. (laughs) Let me say this clearly. I'm going to say this clearly, and I didn't make this up, so I'm not going to take credit for it, but it's powerful and true nonetheless. We do not have a skin problem in this country. We have a sin problem. We do not have a skin problem. We have a sin problem. And let me say this clearly. The only solution to sin was nailed to a cross. His name is Jesus Christ. That's the only solution to the race issues in this country. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rabbit trail. I had a meeting with a, lot of, a few pastors. This is a few months ago, an hour, a little more, a month ago. And the meeting was about what's called reconciliation. And it was to get, essentially, the narrative 
in this country is white people bad, black people victim. That's the narrative that's being pushed. And so the goal of this reconciliation was to have white people and black people come together and hold hands and cry together. And I'm sorry for what my ancestors did and your ancestors, all, the, all, all of that, right? And I'm not saying that there's no healing process in that. I'm sure there is. But it seemed like that was their only goal. Afterwards, I said to the speaker, it seems like we're just trying to achieve something temporary instead of eternal. And that's a problem. If only, if we're only trying to achieve the temporary, if we're only trying to fix their immediate issue, if we're only trying to appease the crowd for the sake of unity, and we miss out on ministering to them for their eternity, we are missing the point. And as the church, as the ecclesia, as Christians, as Christ followers, as those who follow the man who healed and delivered and set free and gave us salvation, if we are not following his example, what are we doing? Peter and John may have been able to find a way to fix the man's temporal need for money, but God wanted to give him something greater and bring him not just healing, but salvation. The second thing I want to point out about this account is this. Where do we put our trust? Peter and John said, silver and gold have I none. David Guzik shares a story about a humble monk who was walking with a Roman Catholic cardinal. And at the time, the Catholic Church was filled with power and at the zenith of its like riches and glory. The cardinal pointed out the lavish surroundings. He pointed out this, this really beautiful area, and he said to the monk, we can no longer say, silver and gold have I none. And the monk looked at him. He said, yeah, but you also can't say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I hesitated to share this point because it strikes close for many believers, including myself. It's easy to get caught up in believing that we're a healthy church because we have a healthy bank account. It's easy to get caught up in believing that we have a healthy church because we have nice chairs and nice carpet and nice things. But the health of the church is not determined by nice chairs, nice music, or nice things. It's determined by our ability to be obedient to the Spirit of God. If we are not being obedient to His presence, then we are just sitting in a building. It's very nice. Peter and John were simply obedient. As Christians, we are called to simple obedience. You know what you're doing is wrong. You know what you're doing is sin. Get right with God. Repent. Come to the altar. Pray for forgiveness. And then go to worship Him in Jesus' name. If all, we're, we're all that's required is obedience. 
Later in this account, the people are, people are marveling at Peter and John for this incredible miracle. The crowd knew the man. They'd seen him every day for decades as a simple, crippled beggar. But now they see him walking and leaping and praising God. And Peter sees the crowd gather and it leads him to begin to preach. And he says, men of Israel, why do you look and wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power we have the ability to make him walk? Peter was careful to make sure he wasn't drawing glory to himself. He was simply a servant of Jesus. He was simply a servant of Christ. He begins to preach to this man who was made whole. He was made whole by the very one that these people crucified. That's, what, that's the sermon. Peter preaches the sermon. He says, listen, this guy that's here leaping and jumping and walking and praising the Lord, yeah, all of that happened because of the guy that you crucified. probably not the best way to win friends and influence people it's probably not the best way to grow your church right the bible says the people left there they were interrupting we'll discuss that in a minute the church grew, grew by five thousand that day peter is continuing to walk and talk under the anointing of the holy spirit and as he's preaching, people aren't responding to him. They're responding to Christ. First message, first sermon, 3,000 saved. Second sermon, 5,000 saved. Now we get to Acts chapter 4. And into our last point this morning. When you minister to people, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, expect to receive backlash. Expect it. Acts 4, 1 through 3 says this, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Do you know why they were called Sadducees? Gosh, this is the worst joke. Because they were so sad, you see. Isn't that lame? Uh. Do you know what kind of car the disciples drove? A Honda, because they were all in one accord. So stupid. It's the worst. No, no, we're not doing open mic night. We're not doing open mic night. That's not it. The Sadducees came upon them, and they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Mike, that was funny. It says, and they arrested them, and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. They arrested them for preaching the truth of Christ. The next day, the council gathers together to decide their fate, and they question them. He says this, by what power did he heal this man? I mean, we know this man. We see he's healed. By what power did this happen? By whose authority was the man healed? The healing was evident. There was no denying it. They clearly understood the implications of what was happening. And the Bible says that Peter, being filled with the Spirit, responded to them. Listen, when you're responding to people, respond when you are filled with the Spirit. Amen? 
Because the truth is this, there is coming coming a day, and I believe it is sooner rather than later, that believers, Christians, you people, may be arrested and imprisoned for sharing the gospel. I truly believe that unless revival hits this country soon, that is where we are headed. When that day comes for you and for me, you better be filled with the Spirit. Because it will only be the power of God that will sustain you. If you are not filled with the Spirit and they come after you, you are going to fold. You're going to fold. You say, no, I won't. I'll be strong. Not unless you're in the Spirit. Not unless you're filled with His presence. For Peter, this is how he responds. Rulers of the people, elders, if we are being examined today considering a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter lays it all out there. Amen? There is no doubt about what he believes. There is no doubt about who is to blame. There is no doubt about the boldness that comes when the Spirit is operating through us. The council hears this and they are confused. Who are these guys? These guys are uneducated fishermen. Who are these guys? And then they remembered. These guys walked with Jesus. And they looked at the man who was healed. And the Bible says that they found no reason to hold them. But before they released them, they warned them with this. Stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Stop it. The church today faces the same opposition. Stop preaching truth. Stop preaching the gospel. Stop preaching Jesus. It's being tolerated for now, but the day is coming where it won't be tolerated. What will your response be? Peter and John tell them we can only speak of what we've seen and heard. You see, Peter and John didn't just walk with Jesus for three years. They didn't just walk with Jesus for three years. They didn't just witness the crucifixion. They experienced the risen Christ. They saw his ascension. They witnessed his glory. If you don't have an experience with the risen Jesus Christ, you will not defend him when threatened. Unless you have an experience with Jesus, you're going to fold every time. The Bible tells us that they were released back to their fellow believers and that they reported all that happened and then they prayed in Acts 4.31. It says this, And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. Say shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. It seems to me that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, part of that is the boldness to share Jesus with those around you. Amen? 
are we filled with the Spirit? In your life, in your personal life, Christians, part of the ecclesia, church, are you filled with his presence? Can you share Jesus boldly with those around you? You say, Pastor David, I just I, I have such a hard time talking to people. Yeah, you do. The Holy Spirit doesn't. Get filled with the Spirit. Pastor David, I couldn't go up and pray for that, that, that man for healing. I mean, who am I? You're nobody. That's okay. Empty yourself and let the Spirit fill you in Jesus' name. And then minister healing. The healing did not come from Peter. The healing did not come from John. The healing came from the presence of God. Amen? Stand with me this morning.